Thank you so much. If you guys can, pull out your Bibles and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're going to be in chapter 6 today. We're going to continue our series. As you can see on the screen, it's called Sit, Walk, and Stand. Uh, that's because we believe uh, here at this church that when you open up the Bible and you read our story that God has planned out for us, that life doesn't stop after salvation. I mean, spiritual life. God has a plan. In fact, when you think about it, God's plan for your life has only just begun at salvation. And he's going to do a great work all the way to completion. And so we are going to be studying that in verses 5 through 9. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. You have to understand that God has a plan for your life. Um, and we're going to talk about your favorite subject, work. Yes, I know that's why you uh, came here on your weekend off to, to come here to talk about what God wants to do in your work life. But God does have a plan and he does want to pour in his glory into your life, but that also includes your work life. And so we're going to see how God has a redemptive plan, not just for your personal life, but your work life as well. Before we get into the verse that I asked you to turn into, I'm going to put a verse on the screen to set the pace for what we're about to study. Colossians chapter 3 says this, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you are working for your paycheck. Is that what it says? No, no. It says, as working for the Lord and not for human masters. So this is the pace that we are going to look at Ephesians chapter 6. We are going to be doing the work uh, that we are going to be called to do as set up to this. The work that we do is not for ourselves. It's not even for our bosses. It's actually done for the glory of the Lord. And that will change not only your perception of what God is about to do at your job, but it also gets you in a position to say this, Lord, with great expectation, what can't you do at my job? Because if he is the Lord God who is creator of heaven and earth, then he is obviously empowered to do great and mighty things at your job as well. So if you can, join me uh, in verse 5. I'm going to say we're going to be continuing that particular next step into uh, what God's plan is for our life. So chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. In some of your translations, it might say with fear and trembling. And with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ. Doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Not people. Because you know that the Lord will reward each one whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that it is he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. And so as we go into this particular passage, that you can see it's just a couple of ver four verses, but it's chock full with a punch, right? It's got a lot to say there. But I want to remind you, when Paul wrote this, this letter that was sent off to the church of Ephesus, it wasn't sent with chapter and verse. There was no you know, street address, Ephesians chapter you know, 5, Ephesians chapter 6. It was just a letter. And this portion of the letter actually began back in chapter 5. I'm going to remind you of how it began in 5 verse 18. It says, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. And so you have to understand that before I can go into work and go like, I don't know if you've been like me, like, Jesus, these people need you so bad. 
Before there can be a transformation at work, there has to be a transformation inside of you. Before you can have an expectation of God to do the work outside of you, you have to have an expectation of God to do that work inside of you. And so you have to say, if by this particular way, God's glory and power must be working in me before I even step into my job. I want you to understand what I just said. Before you even go to work, you must be filled with the Spirit. You can't ask for, you know, the first time somebody sets you off, be like, Jesus, help me now. No, this is before you even get out of the car. And so that's why it's, it's so wonderful that we would know that God wouldn't just send us to a place to go by ourselves. And this all sounds great, right? You're like, yes, by the power of the Lord. Let me just ask you this question. Um, did God save you from the jaws of hell? Yes, absolutely. Did he save you from your own sin? Did he resurrect you to spiritual places so that you know that you have eternity forever? If God has that kind of power in your spiritual life, well, why couldn't he have that in your work life? And so that's the kind of expectation that we're talking about. And like, once again, I said, this all sounds great. You're like filled up with this message. You took all the notes. You've been listening to Z88.3 all weekend. And you're charged up and you head to work. And it works up until you see your boss and he says whatever he's going to say that sets you off for the week. For me in particular, I had a, a gentleman named Jerry. Uh, back in the day um, when I used to work this job, um, I used to get there. And Jerry was awesome because Jerry liked to hover. Do you ever have a boss that hovered? I'm just going to be real and vulnerable with you guys right now. hope it's okay. Jerry would like to hang over me. Now, I had a job where I had to do phone calls all day and take care of people. Jerry loved to do something amazing. The one thing that would drive me nuts, he would love to open a huge bag of Doritos nacho cheese <laughs> and stand over and tell me what to say to the person while he was chewing chips. And then on top of that, you know that nacho dust that he got on his fingers? Well, that got all over my desk after... I was like, excuse me. And then he's like, yeah, let me show you what to do. And he's going through my paperwork. I'm like, what are you doing? And at that particular time, the Lord was reminding me as I was like, Jesus, you better deal with this guy, Jerry, right now. The Lord was like, you know, I, I deal with Jerry by sending you. I, I deal with Jerry by the scripture that we just read this morning. The scripture we just read this morning was to do this work with all your heart and do it unto the Lord and not to Jerry. And that was a challenge for me that morning when I closed the Bible and set down my Bible and went to work and picked up the phone, and here he comes with that really loud bag, right? But the Lord says this, you know what? For you to have a spirit-led work life, you must be filled with the Spirit. Which brings us to our very first point. To have a spirit-led work life, I must first, now watch this, this, this grammar right here. I must first be first filled with the Spirit, right? I have to, before I even step out of the car, before I hit my first crisis, before I hit my first argument, or the first time I roll my eyes at the job, I have to be filled with the Spirit before I even step into that work. And so that's what we can do. We can trace a lot of what we, how we handle our life, how we handle our, our kids, how we handle our marriage, based on our time with the Lord. My grandfather used to say this to me all the time. I used to come to him and complain. My grandfather was such a great spiritual man and led me well. I used to come to him and like, you know, this bothered me or that bothered me or this guy did me wrong. He's like, hey, uh, how's your walk with the Lord? That's how we started the conversation. Not like that guy's the worst or my mom didn't do me right. He's like, no, well, let's, before we talk about anything, let's talk about how we uh, allow God to handle us 
in the situation that we're in. And so the same goes for work and conduct. And so we have to understand this, that uh, when we come to work, if we're serving God in his glory, we cannot expect for God to elevate the things around us if we're not putting our eyes on his glory, on his grace, on his mercy. And so for me to expect elevation of God in my life, I have to put my life in God's hands. Now, Paul does something so amazing with the scripture. And he does really something amazing with this passage. Is he does not keep Christ in the church. I love that. Christ goes with us everywhere. Everywhere, including our jobs. Christ has to be included with every facet of our life. For us to be great disciples, God has to be God. Just think about that. For God to be the real God of heaven and earth, he has to be God over your life. He has to be Lord over your life. My grandfather had this great statement. Uh, this what was something when I was going through in high school, but it applies to work. He says, if he is not Lord of all, then he's not Lord at all. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord of all. You see, the Holy Spirit does something when he comes into our life for salvation. If we can trust God with our eternal salvation, then we must trust him with every department of our life. He has to be good enough to save us from hell. He also has to be good enough to save us from ourselves, from, from a wrecked marriage or, or from a bad job or a bad boss or Jerry with nacho cheese all over everything. He has to be good enough to do that. That's what true discipleship is. That is the discipline to bring everything to the Lord and surrender it to him. As we are going through that scripture, you can see where it says that everything applies to not to ourselves and not to the work. Everything is to be done unto the Lord. And so that means everything is in the Lord's hands, including as we went last week, if you were not here, we did a, a teaching on um, being a parent. Our parenting must be in the Lord's hands. It must be filled with the Holy Spirit. Before that, Pastor Ryan did a fantastic job of teaching on marriage. Our marriage has to be in the Lord's hands. It's not by our power. It's by the work and the power of the Lord. And so even our families and our church life is designated um, in the scripture. So now Paul focuses on the workplace. Now let me tell you why that's so important. I was kind of like, I don't know if I was encouraged or discouraged when I found out this fact, but the uh, about 50% of your awake life, not your sleep, unless you sleep at work, and we have to talk to you after service, <laughs> but a half of your awake life is spent at work. Half of your awake life is spent at work, typically. And I just want to say this, the Lord does not want to waste that time. You are stepping into a ministry field where a lot of people might have never even encountered Jesus Christ, and here you come into the space as the living temple of Christ. You think God has a plan. We're going to see how the people in the, in the, uh, the scripture of the Old Testament had a lot of plans for the workplace. Now, we understand this. When God has called you to be a Christian, he calls you to be like, remember we can't, remember the song, you can't hide that light under a bushel? A city on a hill, everywhere you go, you should be burning bright with the light of Jesus Christ, which means light has to go and pierce the darkness, including work. But understand this, light is more seen than it is heard. So that means Christians, if you're going into the workplace and talking a big game, you have to live a big game. And see, the sermon can't be lived out just in the words. The sermon has to be lived out in the life. And so what's happening is we're seeing a lot of people like to come in and tell people what the right thing is to do. But the bigger and most, like, larger impact that, that's going to reach deeper into the people's hearts is when you live it out in front of them. 
I'm going to say this. You know, there's a great old scholar who said this. I think he, it was written back in the 1800s. He said there's five Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Most people will never read those, but they'll read the fifth Gospel, and that is your life lived out in Jesus Christ. And so you have a great opportunity to walk into your workplace and show Christ more than you talk about Christ. And your life should be a a gospel. It should be a sermon. And it should be lived out every day. Your life should exude the gospel because God has his hand on you in every way. Now, as we set that precedence, let's go back to verse 5 and go through this scripture together and see what that gospel looks like. Verse 5, it says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart just as you would obey Christ. Now, sometimes you can feel like the Bible is an ancient book written for another place in time, but let me see if this resonates with you. What he's writing to is a culture, a Roman and Greek culture, where people don't really like to work. Does that ring a bell today at all? There actually isn't that much of a difference outside of some of the, you know, the, the, the cultures that were set up in the workplace between us and this Greek and Roman culture. And you can see that the Bible is very relevant. It was very strong. It was actually really important to Greek and Roman people to buy uh, servants or buy slaves. And by the way, we're going to talk about that word slave. We're going to unpack what the Bible means by that. Um, at the end of this teaching, but for this particular place in time, just so you know, Greek people would love to do this. They would love to buy a slave to do the job so that they could go pursue pleasure. They wanted somebody else to do the work so they, they could reap the benefits. And so I just want you to know, this is a little fascinating thing. If you want to have a little bit of homework this week, the cost of a slave at Paul's time was 30 pieces of silver so that somebody could do the heavy lifting that you would not do. Now, that's if you want to go back and look at the price that Jesus was sold for by Judas, but this little something on the side there for you. But also, too, to let you know how deep the culture of slavery ran, or servant, bond servants, or indentured servitude, most doctors were not free. So it wasn't just like these are people that did the manual labor. Most even highly educated people were not free at this time. Uh, Some people believe, some scholars believe, that Luke was a doctor that was living in indentured servitude, and then he wasn't free to write the book of Luke until his master freed him to do that. And so that's kind of an interesting thing. But today, our culture is not that much different. Could we be slaves, let's say, to credit? Could we be slaves to debt? Do we see people who are slaves to lifestyle? In fact, today, even if you want to go beyond money, there are some people whose entire life is dedicated to their lifestyle. That's like all facets of their life are reined in by lifestyle. But also today, this is kind of a little uncomfortable subject, today we can even lean on immigrants, can't we? And not give them a fair wage or give them fair treatment. This is no different than Paul's time, and this is what Paul is writing to. So you can see, we think that we're forming new arrangements, but our life is really closely patterned to the life that Paul is talking about right now. And so we want to see that culture at this time was a society, and see if this means anything to you. More work, less money, more pleasure. That was the culture of of the Greek and Roman world that Paul is writing to. And so I want to let you know something, that none of that is biblical. In fact, let us set that precedence for each other. Do you know that God is a worker? God is a very hard worker. Let me 
let you know, Genesis chapter 2, God, who, by the way, self-employed, worked really hard for six days, right? And for six days, he created everything that we have in the world. And then on the sixth day, he finally rested because the work was finished. He did not stop until the work was done well and the work was complete. And then he gave himself a pat on the back and a day off. And that is how we can see that we are walking after a pattern. If we are built in the image of God, just let you know, we are built in the image of a worker. God loves to work. And in fact, he loves to work well. Just so you know, I do a lot of studying um, because I used to take uh, psychology in college. And I like to go back and dabble like with the medical journals on psychiatry. And one of the things that I find fascinating today with people in work is Whenever they take a person, usually like a, t- like a teenager or a young adult, the psychiatrist will get with them. They're like, hey, I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? I don't know why. Well, they do this new thing where they take the teenager or the young adult out to do something, like just something in the community, and they put their hands to something, like they do a garden, or they'll go back to the room and have them clean the room. And they'll talk to the person while they're cleaning the room, and at the end of the, the session, the room will be clean, and the person will turn and go, hey, you know what? My room is clean for the first time in years. It smells great, and I feel great. And psychiatrists are finding that it is built in us to do a job and to do it well, and that actually plays into our psyche. It's because that is who we are as people, pattern after the Lord. Jesus was also a worker, was he not? Now, we can easily look at ministry, right? Ministry, Jesus would work really, really hard, right? The whole village or everybody on the town side would come over and see him, and he would lay hands, and he would preach all day, and eventually he would get so tired that he would turn to his disciples and be like, all right, boys, push off. I'm done for the day. I did a good job. I'm going to take a nap. This is the Lord, but we don't always think about the other parts where the Lord worked quietly. What did Jesus do before he was a minister? Anybody know? Pop quiz. Carpenter. Now, I'm going to let you know something. We don't have any Yelp reviews for Jesus tables or Jesus doors, but I believe that if he worked that hard for the Lord, I believe he worked that hard for his earthly father, Joseph. We know that if we looked at Jesus' hands, I'm pretty sure they were rough because he put in a good day's work. But you notice something? Jesus wasn't afraid of manual labor for the 18 years, right? For the 18 years before ministry. And so somebody could say, well, maybe there's a job that's beneath me. Well, it wasn't beneath Jesus Christ, was it? And so he put his, his hand uh, to a great, uh, you know, many work that was probably rough and sweaty and tough. But you want to know this? I'm sure that as hard as he worked, um, the job was done well that he also said this. This is how he identified John chapter 5, verse 17. This is why he identified with hard work. He said, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Do you know that Jesus Christ's ministry didn't take place, didn't explode on the scene until he obeyed the command of his father and then the Holy Spirit fell on him. Do you remember at the baptism, right? He goes down to meet John the Baptist, and he says, John the Baptist, it's time for me to get baptized. And John the Baptist is like, look, I'm not even qualified to touch your shoelaces, let alone dip you in the water. And he said, no, this is good. Why? Because he was following the commands of his Lord. And as he was following the commands of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, right, fell upon him, and then his ministry started. Do you realize that the same spirit that was working in Christ is now working in you today? The Holy Spirit is a worker. In this sermon right now, I don't know what you've got going on, but the Holy Spirit does. 
And the Holy Spirit doesn't inform me about everything that's going on in your life, but the Holy Spirit is informing you how this scripture applies to your life. I can never do that on my own. I'm not good enough to do that, but the Holy Spirit is. And so when you walked into this church service today, you understand that you walked into a place where the Holy Spirit wasn't just going, I hope you have a good church service. I hope you like the music. I hope everything's just great for you. I think the Holy Spirit was waiting for you at the door with the sleeves rolled up going, let's get to work. Because this sermon was not meant to just be something to give you peace. This sermon was meant to do a great deep kind of work inside of you. And so you have to understand that the work that we do must be done well if we are serving that kind of a worker inside of us. And so the Christian work ethic is definitely on display from our Father in heaven, from Jesus Christ, and all of, uh, from the Holy Spirit. But let's talk about here in the physical world. Look at what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. The one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. I love when um, sometimes I go into counseling with young men. They're like, I don't really know what God wants me to do. I don't know what God wants me to go. And I'm like, well, he wants you to work. Okay, like just point blank. The one who isn't going to work, you ain't going to eat. I love when the Bible is just that plain. There's no commentary. There's no like we have to get scholars to decipher. Look, work equals eat. And that is a Christian ethic right there. Now, I want to put on a side caveat, this is not talking to people who are not physically able to work. Obviously, we're called to, out of the blessings that we've received as workers, to take care of those who can't work. That's actually a calling, but it's talking to the people who are able to work. Can you stand up strong in the commandment of the Lord and go do a hard day's work? This is what was given. You know, Adam actually lived by this, and not after the fall, but before the fall. Did you know that when God created, uh, created uh, the, the Garden of Eden, it was paradise, right? And it was just a location. It wasn't the whole earth. And so God put Adam in the Garden of Eden and says, see this? See this? This is what I want you to do. I want you to turn the whole world into this. I want you to work. I don't know if that shatters your image of, Paul, of, sorry, Paul, of Adam. This is something I sometimes like even struggle with because I think about this all the time. Adam had it so great, right? Just walking around naked, eating fruit all day. The hard day at work is when he had to just maybe like name an animal, right? And he came back to even he's like, I named the giraffe. And she high-fived him and was like, that's a hard day's work. And then he just took a nap after that. But actually that's not true. Adam had to work. He had to turn the whole world to look like the Garden of Eden. So that was actual work. Now after the fall, work turned to be hard. Remember he said, the Lord said, now you'll have to work by the sweat of your brow. But before there was even in paradise, there was still work. So you can see that it is our job to work because if the Holy Spirit is going to work, if Jesus is going to work, if God is going to work, and if Adam is going to work and that we are patterned after him, then we are going to work. And it's going to be great. Now, one thing you don't see in here is God tell you what type of work to do. He doesn't say you should do this thing or that thing. Now, I want to let you know he's not talking about anything that is sinful. So if your job runs counterintuitive to the scripture of the Lord, and I didn't ever think this was going to take place until I was in Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and I was in a young adults group. And I remember we were going through a scripture like this, and this young man turned to me, and he says, does that mean I have to stop selling drugs? And I was like, yes, I think 
I think you have to stop selling drugs according to the scripture. And he goes, but I give a really good tithe. I'm like, I don't think the church needs your drug money. I think what they need is your heart to be sold out for the Lord. So if your job does run counterintuitive to scripture, understand the Lord is not talking about that. But what the Lord is saying, it's not what you do, it's how you do it. It doesn't matter if you touch a mop or a scalpel. It doesn't matter if you fly a plane or drive a bus. It's how you do it for the Lord. Now, Paul is going to list how you do it in the next couple verses. Look at verse 6. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And so what's amazing thing about work Remember we said it's about half of your waking time is there's another portion of work that God doesn't, um, you know, look over is that it's built out of relationships. Most businesses are not in the position of just being by themselves. Even if you work from home, you still have to call people or email people. You still have to conduct yourself in such a way where you put on display your integrity before the Lord. That's why I believe it's so strong that Ephesians 5 started out with this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Look at it on the screen. It says, submit or surrender to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's a very interesting verse because it applies to so many people, doesn't it? The, the husband at the home has been given the job to lead the home, right? But how is the husband supposed to lead the, the wife? The way that Christ led the church. And how did Christ lead the church? By example by laying down his life for his bride, right? And this is how a man is not to leave. I can never do this to Jackie, my wife. I can never be like, hey, I'm the head of the house. You take care of the kids. I'm going golfing for a week. <laughs> Any of you know that will not go well. I am supposed to submit. I'm supposed to lead by serving the wife. So this also applies to both employer and to employee. You are supposed to lead by serving your employees. Employee, you're supposed to lead by serving your employer, and if everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing, they are living out the gospel because this is what's going to happen. Democracy doesn't work in every situation. Go to work next week and tell your boss, like, I think we should vote on everything. See how far that gets you. No, most of the time, there's a situation, even here, when I'm working with Pastor Craig, he's a great boss, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, but there's not everything goes to a vote. I am called to come and to submit out of reverence, not just to Pastor Craig, but to God. And so when Pastor Craig says something, whether I agree or disagree with that, you know who I'm doing the work to? God. And so I do it unto the Lord. And then there, I honor and obey and respect not only my boss, I honor and obey and respect the Lord. And you know what's kind of amazing? Our spiritual responsibility becomes a breakthrough and in a great amount of revelation in the workplace. There's many a time I've sat in a place where someone said to me, and this is kind of disheartening but also encouraging for my own performance, not a pat on my back, but just to hear somebody say, hey, you know what, it's great. I really like working with you. You're not like the other Christians. You don't cut out early. You don't fall asleep behind the shelf. You don't steal or take extra things. You do exactly what I ask you to do. But that should be the same for everybody who calls Lord, Lord. That is how that it should be. We should be accepting that as spiritual responsibility to take care of our employees or employer because God is God. So there's three things that come out 
of that scripture that God has asked the employees to do. First, he's asked them to respect them, respect your employer, have obedience to your employer, and have faithfulness to your employer. Now, if you're in this room today, I just want to let you know, if you're retired and you don't have a job, or if you're self-employed, maybe, you're, maybe you need to be talked to because the way you treat yourself. But uh, this particular thing is applicable to anybody. When we submit to each other, husbands and wives, you can work in this. Um, you know, maybe father and, and, and mother over their children can work on this. But look at this. It says respect. You know, you, you have to respect the person in the position that God has placed you under. Even if you don't respect them, you have to respect that God called them to be in that position. Obedience. This is really strong. We have to work hard, not because man is watching, but because God is looking. Did you know that you go with the Lord everywhere you go and that the Lord does the work with you? Do you want to fail the Lord? Can you imagine the Lord being like, come on, catch up? That kind of like bothers me. Like, it's kind of like a weird thing. Like, if me, like, okay, I got to take a break. And he's like, well, Joey, that's your fifth break and it's 930. Like, like what's going on? But if God is a worker, I have to understand this. There's also another side to this. It's faithfulness. And it comes to this way. Did you know that the circumstances are not what God calls for you to focus on? He calls for you to call to look at the God of your circumstances. So that doesn't matter. Whatever your working condition is, God calls you to still be true to him. You could disagree. You could say, this person's an idiot. You can say, this person's not somebody I agree with. You could say, this job is beneath me. But God would say, but that's not what I called you to do. The job isn't about the paycheck alone. The job is to be done unto me. You don't serve your paycheck, and you don't serve your boss. You serve me, and in doing so, you reap the rewards. Now, the rewards might be less than what you can consider, but we're going to address this. You can never serve wholeheartedly and receive the rewards and the promises of the Lord until you do this. Work takes place in your heart before it takes place in your hands. Work takes place in your heart before it takes place in your hands. Just think about this. If you go into work with a bad attitude, you're not representing the Lord well, right? But remember what I said, before you even get out of the car, calibrate yourself to the Lord. Remind yourself of all that God's called you to do, but also this, remind you yourself of how good God has been to you. If he can lift you out of the jaws of hell, can he not change what you're about to do? I want you to kind of see what it means to serve the Lord with all your whole heart. Please turn to Genesis chapter 41. And as you're turning there, I just kind of want to put on display just a few things that you can see what happens when you disagree with your situation and you disagree with your boss, but you are faithful to the Lord that's faithful to you. I'm going to catch you up in the story if you've never heard this before. In Genesis chapter 41, we're talking about Joseph. And Joseph was a man who, he was flawed. He had his own problems, but he was played favorites by his dad, right? His dad loved him more than all of his brothers, and it built up some animosity. So his brothers grabbed him one day and threw him in a pit because they were sick of the favoritism, and they took this coat. You guys know the story, the coat of many colors, and they brought it back to their dad and said, hey, your son is dead. But what they actually did was sell their brother into slavery. Now, Joseph would be sold into slavery by merchants that were passing by, and he would go down to Egypt. And he was put in Potiphar's house. Just so you know how bad this is, this is for a Jewish man who is considering himself a man of the Lord, shoved into a pagan house into a whole new world, right? Whole new customs, whole new culture. This is not how I like to do life. I am very uncomfortable here. But what he did was he served Potiphar well. 
He served Potiphar so well with the little things that Potiphar eventually turned over his whole house and all of his affairs to Joseph to the point that this is how Potiphar worked. Joseph, you have the Midas touch. Everything you put your hand to turns to gold. So you know what? Run my house. You know the only thing I'm going to concern with myself every day? I'm going to concern myself with dinner. That's it. When I wake up, I'm just going to be thinking about what they're going to serve for dinner. You have control of everything else. Well, along the way, Potiphar's wife took a liking to Joseph. She tried to seduce him. He ran away from, remember, integrity, serving the Lord. He served his master, but he also served God. So he didn't sleep with his boss's wife, even though at a particular time you could say, well, I've been ripped off. I'm in bad conditions. Maybe stolen waters are sweeter. Maybe I should sleep with this woman. He goes, no, I do this job as I'm doing unto the Lord. And so she accused him of rape. Now Potiphar knew better, but still the same. The word was out and Potiphar had to save face. So he had to throw Joseph in prison. Did Joseph ask for that? Did Joseph ask for any of this? Not really. So what did Joseph do in prison? He served the Lord well by serving his boss well. He served the warden well, and he served the warden so well that eventually the warden turned all of the well-being and the health of the prisoners over to Joseph. Because why? They did well under Joseph because God had a plan for Joseph, and Joseph worked inside of that plan, and he worked it faithfully to the God that was faithful to him. And then throughout that particular time, two men came in there from the royal court and they had dreams and Joseph interpreted those dreams for them and one of them went back to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh who was now struggling with the dream there was a guy that I saw back in the prison and he was able to interpret dreams and so now Pharaoh calls Joseph up before him and he could have said it, it one of many things but you know what he did he said you know what I'm going to serve the master that God put over me so I'm just going to serve him well Pharaoh had a dream, and it was about a famine that was coming. And Joseph interpreted the dream, but he was also faithful to Pharaoh to give him a plan for that famine. And I want you to see the response of a non-believing, non-Christ-following leader as he responds to Joseph. And I want you to hear what he identifies as what separates Joseph from all the other workers in his realm. Look at verse 37, chapter 41. And the plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all of his officials, so Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone else like this man? One whom is in the spirit of God. I love that, right? Pharaoh's like, can we get more of these guys? These, these God guys are great. Look at Pharaoh, verse 39. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all of my people are to submit to you your, your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. Verse 41. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. The Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. By the way, he's basically saying the responsibility and the power of the kingdom are now transferred to Joseph. He is my hand and my voice. Look at the next verse. It says he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and people shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but with your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Can you imagine that, given that kind of power? Don't even move unless Joseph says to. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephaneth, Paniah, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. 
You know what's amazing? And this brings up a very strong kind of a point that God wants us to know. That at the entire time of Joseph's life, he had dedicated himself to God. And that his circumstances and his conditions did not dictate to him how well he was going to work for the Lord. You know, sometimes, I don't know if you're like me, you can read the Bible. But do you ever just read the Bible and turn the page and it feels like the next day? It was not the next day for Joseph. This was a lifetime of hard work. This was a lifetime of submitting to God. In fact, when he was taken into captivity, he was 17 years old, and he was about 30 years old now when he's before Pharaoh. That's a long time for you to work hard and go unnoticed, isn't it? And now he worked three separate jobs. All of them were undesirable for the person that he is, but did he work it nonetheless? And did he bring honor and glory to the Lord? And did God reward him well? Can you imagine being sold into slavery and then the next, you know, like the next thing you know, you're getting blessed by being second in command of all of Egypt, putting a chain around your neck, got a new car, right? By the way, got a wife. That's nice. I've never seen benefit packages like that. But the Lord has blessed him richly, has he not? But it came not in a day. It came by a lifetime. That's why you have to understand that the God has a full and important power. And if you believe God to be sovereign, if you believe God is the kind of God that says, let there be light and there is light, then you can say, let there be life to your dead job, to your dead coworkers, to spiritually dead people all around you that are not living for the Lord. You can believe that he has that kind of power and that you could say these things, I have been called for this place and this time. In fact, Esther says it very well. Look on the screen. Esther 4.14 says this. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. You know what the Lord is saying to not only Esther, who was put in a position, a royal position to save the nation of Israel? Put in a position to serve the Lord well because God has called her into that situation. You can understand this. Sometimes when you're just fighting, like, I'm not proud of my job. I'm not in love with my job. I'm not liking the people that I work with. And the Lord is like, but don't you understand that salvation is going to come through your obedience because I have called you for such a time as this? I want you to see how that plays through in Joseph's life. If Joseph was not obedient and faithful to the Lord, he would not have been preparing the nation of Egypt for the, for the famine. But if he had not prepared the nation of Israel for the famine, he would not have saved the family that sold him into slavery. That during that time that his family came looking for food, he was able to say, because I have served God well, I'm not only able to save, the, save my family, I'm also able to save the nation of Israel. God has richly blessed him because he has richly blessed me. I'm able to give to those who don't, who don't have, who has not been received. You know how much glory of the Lord is flowing through Joseph at that point, and it only came because he was obedient to the calling that God put on him. It doesn't matter who I'm underneath. It doesn't matter where I'm serving. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It matters the God of my circumstances. And in doing so, Revelation is now breaking through that Pharaoh, who is even considered a God on earth, is standing before Joseph and saying, it's because of his God that all the good things are happening to this place. It's because of his faithfulness and his God's faithfulness to him that the world is changing for better. All because he understood the plan. Now, I want you to see what this looks like. There's three points that come out of this. God's sovereignty over your work. Every spirit-led employee needs to know this. 
God has a plan. Did Joseph know the full plan when he walked into it? No, but he understood that God had a plan. He also knows that God is in control. Did he know how God was going to fix everything in every situation? No, but he trusted God nonetheless. And that God was going to use his obedience to change the world. Think about this. You could change the world just by faithfully obeying God. Every spirit-led employee understands this and follows God into this. Now, we've been talking a lot about employees. Now, employers, it's your turn. You're about to get it. Here we go. Verse 9. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Did you know that at this particular place in time, verse 9, that slaves had no rights? Literally, if you dropped a plate and you cracked it, the slave could be killed by the master, no questions asked. No questions asked. Slaves were considered not even citizens in some areas. In fact, I looked at a document. I was looking at an old document that had ancient writing on it. They actually uh, called Christian slaves hands. They weren't people. They weren't families. They were a pair of hands to serve. And so what Paul is saying in this time, in this place, you are not supposed to do that as a boss. You should not look at people as assets. You should not look at them as resources. You should look at them as the daughters and sons of the Christ who has risen and has saved them and redeemed them. And as you've been placed over them, you now have a responsibility to them because you have a responsibility to God. In fact, let me tell you how revolutionary this is. In this place and time, and all the temples that were in there, all the other religions that were around this place, masters and slaves did not sit together. In fact, in some places, masters and slaves had to go to two separate services, or the slaves had to be outside. But in this particular place, Paul is having somebody read this to the church, and you know who they're addressing? Master and slave at the same time. You know why? Because they're sitting in the same pew revolutionary for this time. And so he's saying, for you to be a Christ-filled boss, then you need to be living the life of Christ in leadership. Lay down your life. Serve well. Remember what Jesus did before he left this earth? How did he show his, his disciples to lead? By putting on an apron, getting down, and washing feet. He says, I have put people in your responsibility, and one day you will have to answer, what did you do with my people? What did you do with the people that you had power over? What did you do? Remember, this is, goes back to one of the points that we made last week, but the second point this week is going to change. This is, goes for leading children. I can only lead as well as I'm being led. Remember we said in the Everington house, I can only shepherd as well as I'm being shepherded. That means to say this, I can only do great as a leader as well as I let Jesus lead me. That means for me to understand true leadership, I have to be a true follower of Jesus Christ to understand and see what true leadership means to move me from one point to the next point spiritually so that I know what real obedience looks like. But understand this, as you move in true obedience to God and submit yourself to his leadership, guess what happens? Look at the next part. A leader submitted to God's authority is in full authority. How do you know that to be true? Look how it played out in Joseph's life. What did Potiphar do? Turned over the whole house to him. What did the warden do? Turned over the whole prison to him. What did Pharaoh do? Gave him the nation and the well-being and the future and the welfare of Egypt over 
to Joseph. Why? Because he saw inside of him the divine favor and blessing of God who would put true leadership inside of Joseph's heart. Employers, understand this. Every single one of you are not in the position of your own doing. You're there because God called you to be there. And in doing that calling, you have one of two options. You can answer the call of God or you can abuse the calling of God. And that's where you can receive those just rewards. And I don't think we talk about that enough in church. Rewards. God is specifically talking about rewards. You know, the book of Philippians says there will be rewards in heaven. There is incentivizing to this Christian life. You are to do well and you are to receive rewards. And you know what? Joseph received his rewards, didn't he? But for a life of hard work. And that's something that is so amazing to me because you can say this in this particular place. Every single one of us is being led by God into a calling to change the world. It doesn't matter if you're pushing a mop or if you're a doctor. Doesn't mean if you're a father or a mother, you are all called to a calling. Doesn't matter if you're a neighbor or a friend, you are all called to a ministry where you are to lead and to lead well. Now, we're going to get to one last thing. We're going to talk about that word slavery because I think it's so important that we address this in the church today because sometimes you'll run into this. A lot of people have abused that word slavery in the church today and outside of the church, and I want to explain for you. People understand that the word slavery does pop up in the Bible, but there was a different way to look at this explanation of what slavery is. The Bible doesn't condemn slavery. That is true. It doesn't condone slavery either by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, there's all kinds of slaves. To say the word slave is actually kind of broad. There are the slaves that would be captured in war, right? So if one nation conquered another nation, guess what? There were slaves. There's also the kind of slaves that were bought and purchased, right? But there's also other kinds of slaves. Somebody could be an indentured servitude. I owe a debt. I work it for a certain amount of time, and then that debt is paid off. There's also another kind of way that it could look at. It could be like, uh, well, a bond servant. Well, a bond servant could be the kind of guy who's like, I want to work and get room and board for my family. And when I do work enough and I get it, you know, enough money to save to buy a house for my family, well, then now we're done. And now the, the master looks at the servant and says, hey, guess what? You're done. You're done here. And the servant can go, you know what? I'm not going to find work as well as I'm going to find here. I now bond myself to you. So when the word says slavery in the Bible, understand that God is not calling people to just walk into the kind of slavery that we would hate the kind of slavery that we would know maybe here even in America. But I want to understand this, is that the Lord is not coming to you to say, I want to bring a revolution to this situation because not all situations are the same. Now let me give you a case in point, though, that we can do the argument. What about slavery where people are bought and sold? Well, in this particular place, the Lord never wanted a, a revolution because can you imagine if God had said, by the way, no one should own slaves and slaves rise up against your masters? There would be a massacre. And all the Christian slaves would be dead. In fact, the Lord said, I want to undermine the situation by bringing a revelation to the situation. You see, Christianity is not a political movement. I'm sorry to say that. Some people kind of believe that uh, today, that somehow some the, the, the political movements are going to save us. Christianity is meant to be an individual moment, an individual life. Joseph wasn't living a revolution, was he? But he changed the nation of Egypt. He changed the nation of Israel. Why? Because he had a personal relationship with his God. He wasn't a part of a movement. He wasn't a part of a revolution. And so you can look back in history. The greatest people that brought down the slavery as we know it today were Christian abolition, abolitionists, right? 
So the Christian abolitionists said this, you know what? We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. How do I know that? Because Christ came and died for us all. And it doesn't matter the color of your skin or your situation. What matters is your relationship with the Lord. And if somebody's been made in the image of God, then there's no way that we should be the people that are the owners of God. In fact, some of the the greatest abolitionists were people that were former slave owners who had found Christ and now walked into that situation and undermined that situation by saying, I am not trying to change the world. I'm trying to change what Christ has done in me. And in doing so, they undermined the whole industry. And today in England and America, we are free from slavery because why? Because Christ entered into the conversation. Not a political movement. And that's why the whole thing came crashing down. Why? Because master and slave had both found Jesus Christ and a new world was formed. A new attitude was formed. A new direction was formed. Why? Because we all understand this. We all belong to Jesus. We are all slaves to Christ. And we do God's will and his bidding. And so you might not realize it, but even if you're in a stronghold today, if you're in a situation that's less than desirable, you don't love your work, maybe you even feel like you're being abused or maybe taken advantage of, understand this, that you are not a man pleaser, not even to yourself, you're a God pleaser. And you are being nourished by God and you will receive your rewards for hard work. And you understand this, that when you come into your situation, you are called to bring a light that pierces the darkness. You are to not be a revolution to your workplace. You are to be a revelation to your workplace. Just think about this. We can look around this country alone. We say we're a Christ-following country, but do we find corruption in the government? Do we find corruption in the workplace? Find corruption everywhere. Why? Because sin abounds. What we don't need is another revolution. What we need is more Christians everywhere. What we need is more Jesus Christ in the hearts of people walking into situations saying, by example, by a lifetime, not by a word, but by a lifetime of example, what Christ did in me, Christ can do here in you. And in doing that, we will change the world. So this is what we're going to close on, a faithful reminder. We started this verse, Colossians chapter 3, and I want you to see verse 23, but I want you to take 24 with you to your workplace for the rest of the week. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, as working out for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Understand at the end of the day, whether you enjoy payday or not, whether you enjoy your boss or not, whether you have the best working situation or not, understand that the Lord is working in you and on your behalf, and he has an inheritance for you. Keep your eyes on that. Don't bring a revolution to your job. Bring a revelation of who the Lord is and serve him and serve him well because I'm going to ask you this. From here to eternity, has God served you well? Has he been faithful to you? Let's bring that work ethic to the workplace. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you that You don't just have a plan for us here at church. You have a plan for us in the home. You have a plan for us in the workplace. I want to thank you for the hard work that you have done in our lives already by saving us from ourselves, saving us from your wrath. Lord, forgive us of our fear and our doubt. Forgive us for not serving as faithful as you've been faithful to us. But today we declare this, Lord, we are going to do the job and we're going to do the job well to you. When we step into work, we might have a bad situation, but we're going to honor you with good work. 
We might not have people that are around us that love the Lord, but we're going to love the Lord even more by working well to the, to the job you put in front of us. Lord, we pray right now that whatever position that we're in, that we understand that the people that are over us are under your authority and we submit them to you. They are people and they need to know Jesus Christ. And if we are that invitation to Jesus Christ, let it be because Jesus Christ is alive and well and sits on a throne in our heart. In Jesus' holy name we pray, amen.